Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on St. Irvin's Road in Westbourne Grove, W10, two streets north of the Landor House murders, two streets east of the cinema where Reg Christie was once a projectionist, and a short walk from the last tragic moments in the sad life of Lena Cunningham. Coming soon to Murder Mile. The original buildings on the eastern edge of St. Irvin's Road were demolished in the 1960s to make way for the A40 flyover. A delightful concrete monstrosity which blots out the horizon with a grey sunset of hazy smog, a bird song of roaring trucks and a hooty jam of window lickers heading to a job they hate. In the pursuit of progress, the off-license at 7 St. Irvin's Road was erased. Taken with it, the home of William Reason, Daniel Hanrahan, his daughter Renee, and the tragedy which befell this loving family. Her home was three miles west of where her body was found. No one knows how she got there, where she had been, and more importantly, why anyone would murder someone so shy kind and beloved. Believing this lone girl must have been attacked in a dark park by a random stranger. The residents of St. Irvin's Road were left in shock. And yet, a greater shock was yet to come, as this was a murder as ordinary as any other. And this street wasn't just where she lived, but also where her killer called home. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 171, The Girl with a Smile for Everyone, Part 2. A smile can do many things. It can light up a room, soothe a mood and endear us to a person. 
but a smile isn't an honest expression. It can exude happiness whilst hiding truth, pain and fear. Wednesday the 1st of October 1947 at 10.30pm At Cumberland Green on the eastern edge of Regent's Park Detective Inspector Jameson and Superintendent Beveridge assessed this unusual crime scene. The park was dark and empty as it had been barely an hour before when Rene had been murdered. With the only witnesses being to her discovery the detectives could only speculate that she had been beaten, strangled and gagged elsewhere, possibly transported by car, and her body dumped. But why here? Why pick an open expanse of grass in a public park with no obstructions to disguise this despicable deed? Why commit such a heinous crime, only to lay her down with such reverence? Her clothes neat, her limbs straight, and her handbag like a pillow. With no robbery, no rape, and no signs of a struggle, it was clear that her killer was someone who loved her intensely and hated her as fiercely. Suspect 1. William Reason. A widower known as Uncle Willie who for the last 20 years had given a home, love and safety to the niece he treated like his own child. Broken by the news of her death, he cancelled his 65th birthday, closed his shop and lost in tears, he would never recover from the loss. Suspect 2 Daniel Hanran Rene's widowed father who had fought in court to get custody of her, who had threatened to tear her killer into pieces, and like Willie, became a shell of himself after her death. In Renee's throat, an old torn hanky had been used to gag her. It was stitched with the laundry mark of XX-A and the initial D. And although the hanky was his, his alibi was solid, and his grief genuine. Suspect 3. James Locke, the yard hand at United Dairies, who dated Rene, took her to Margate on his motorbike and made up a foursome with Dorothy and Gedge. Police discounted him as a suspect, as he was seen at the social club in Wembley from the time she went missing until after she was found dead. With no motive, everyone would be ruled out. Which left the police with one suspect. Her friend, her neighbour, and the man she once saw as almost an uncle, Albert Butler. Thursday the 2nd of October 1947, at 8.30am, as a ravenous press swarmed St. Irvin's Road looking to get the scoop, a reporter who was unaware of which house was Uncle Willie's blurted out the horror. To his wife, Bert said, Something terrible has happened. Rene has been murdered. 
and having gone next door to support Daniel and Willie, who stood in pale shock. Without a prompt, he told them both, I had a drink with her yesterday lunchtime at the Golden Cross. And as Daniel would state, he related the whole of his movements from lunchtime till Rene was found. Bert was an unusual man, friendly but direct. Being 49 years old, 5 foot 10, and thinly built with square shoulders, he resembled any other working man of the day, only burdened by sharp eyes and a bald head. He had a stern, angular face, which didn't flinch when he was furious. His wife Gladys never spoke ill of him. They worked and lived together, and yet, sleeping in separate beds, she rarely joined him next door for dominoes, and would state, Some evenings, he would go out for long walks by himself. I do not, as a rule, know where he goes, unless he happens to mention it. Every night, in the back room of number seven, the routine was the same. Bird would arrive at 9pm. They'd have a snack, a chat, a game of dominoes. He would help René wash up, and he would leave by midnight. Daniel would state, He often helped in the scullery, and in doing so, they were alone together. Nothing sinister was thought of this, as Bert was a family friend. Uncle Willie would state, He was so regular with his visits, I thought it strange when he didn't come. As he wouldn't on the night she died. Nine months earlier, whilst washing up next to the woman who was a foot shorter, half his weight and 15 years his younger, Bert accidentally nicked his finger on a knife. It was just a small cut, so to stem the flow, Daniel gave him an old torn hanky, stitched with the laundry mark of XX slash A and the initial D. To Bert, she was a girl with a smile for everyone. Only her smile would hide the pain of a girl who was leched over by a creepy uncle, a pest who had admitted he was attracted to her who had expressed his love for her, and in whispers in the scullery, that he wanted to have sex with her. Renée never wanted to burden her father or uncle with her pain, so she never said a word to them about Bert. Desperate to be near Renée, Bert drove her to work every Monday, and although he lived three miles west, he rented a garage for his car in Manchester Mews, right behind the dairy where she worked. As a frequent visitor to her home, Bert would later admit to the police, I was attracted to René, but for nothing more than being a good friend. I've been in her bedroom often, but only to do odd jobs. Six months earlier, 
Daniel came back from the night shift and found himself locked out of the house. Being a pal and hearing his plea, Bert helped him out. And wearing just his pyjamas, Bert climbed through a back window as René slept and entered the house. During his police interview, Bert would tell the detectives, I've never been in the house during the night unknown to members of the family. One month before her death, she had confided to two friends that she was fed up with him chasing her and that she was scared, saying, he might do things if I refuse to have anything to do with him. Only the less René saw him, the more Bert's love would grow from attraction to obsession. As a quiet girl, with a small but trusted circle of friends, every Wednesday she went with her colleagues to the Dairy Social Club at the sports ground in Wembley to drink, to chat, to watch the footy and to dance. But across the August of 1947, Bert had followed her from her home at St Irvins Road to Westbourne Park Tube Station, onto the train at Baker Street Station and all the way to the sports ground. On Wednesday the 27th of August, six weeks before her death, at the social club, Dorothy and Gedge saw René in an unheard heated exchange with a bald, stern-faced man in a fawn raincoat and a brown trilby hat. The next day, René confided to a friend, Bert had a terrible temper because I would not go out with him. He said, it was a good job I did not stay last night or I would have done you in. With his obsession turning to stalking and threats, she looked distressed but masked it with a smile. On Sunday the 31st of August, the foursome, Dorothy, René, Gedge and Jimmy, headed to Margate. It was an escape from her stresses and she had a wonderful time. But having been driven back home on the back of Jimmy's motorbike, from behind the twitching curtains next door, Bert was jealously watching. Wednesday the 1st of August 1947 began like any other day for René. At 8am, she made breakfast, she did the cleaning and she helped out in the shop. At 12pm she left, having to run a few errands for Uncle Willie. Witnessed by his wife, Bert made the spontaneous decision, I think I will have a walk. The air will do me some good. He popped on a fawn raincoat, a brown trilby hat. He headed into Labrick Grove. And what followed was an alibi he would rigidly stick to. The last time I saw René, 
are met her by chance in Portobello Road. Seen waiting for her outside of Barclays Bank. I asked her to come and have a drink with me. We went to the Golden Cross pub. Rene had two gin and limes and I had two pints of beer. Being a thin man with a stern face and a tiny lady with frizzy hair. Three people saw this easily recognizable twosome sitting in the saloon bar talking quietly. At 1pm, Renee left me. She was going to Woolworths to buy a birthday card. And he reiterated to the police, I have never been to the sports ground in Wembley. I was not near Regent's Park that night. And I am emphatic that I left Miss Hanrahan at about 1pm and that I never saw her afterwards. At 2pm, Renee and Uncle Willie had sausages, mash and peas, with peaches and custard for pudding. Bert's wife had expected him back for lunch as usual. However, he did not return, but I did not worry. After the pub, I took a train to Brighton. The return fare was 15 shillings and threepence. I arrived about 3.45pm the details of which he would have known, having visited this seaside town with René, Daniel and Willie just two weeks earlier. I walked to the seafront, sat down on the beach near the Palace Pier. I fell asleep and I did not wake up until about 6pm. I then went to a snack bar with white-tiled walls. I can't remember the name. I had a cup of tea and a sandwich and then I went to the station. When asked if anyone could corroborate his movements, he would state, I spoke to no one who can verify my story that I was in Brighton. He could provide no tickets to prove his journey, and there were no pebbles in his shoes or clothes. I got the 7.15 train and arrived in Victoria at exactly 8.30pm. I got a number 11 bus to World's End in Chelsea and I had a bit of a walk around. As he had seen a property that he liked and dusk seemed the perfect time to go house hunting. I entered the Metropolitan pub at 9.45pm. I spoke to a young lady, later identified as Rose Devereaux. I stayed with Rose and her friend till closing. I then stood outside talking to them, and I left to go home about 10.40pm. The police tracked down Rose and her friend, but their accounts proved unreliable. I intended to go into Willie's for a cup of tea and a game of dominoes in the back room, but I did not get back in time, meaning that half an hour after the detectives had arrived at the crime scene, he had returned home. His wife Gladys would state, I was sat in the back room listening to the wireless. It was about 10.45pm when my husband came in. He said, hello dear. Hello dear. And without a prompt, he volunteered his movements for the day. He poured himself a Guinness. He seemed like his usual self. 
I did not talk with him much as I was tired. I left him and I went to bed. He came up about 20 minutes later. The alibi provided by Albert Butler would put him 54 miles south of London at the time when René was last seen alive and three miles west of Regent's Park during the hour that she was murdered. The coroner would ask, If anyone were to say that they had seen you in London that afternoon, would they be wrong? Bert would reply, Yes, sir. They are mistaken. And when asked, Did you have anything to do with the death of Miss Hanrahan? Bert would reply, No, sir. I did not. Only when the police dug deeper, other witnesses told a different story. At 5pm, Renee went to Smith's at 63 Tavistock Crescent to buy cigarettes for her uncle, as served by Mrs. Underwood. Stating that Renee looked flustered, she was seen in a heated exchange across the street with a man in a fawn raincoat and a brown trilby hat. At 5.30pm, Isabella Greenwood, an assistant who often worked for Bert and Willie, said she had seen him standing behind the counter of his grocers, alongside his wife. A sighting confirmed by regular customer Lillian Fudge. At 5.55pm, being the last time that René was seen alive by a loved one, she left 7 St Irvins Road with her plans for the night still undecided. She was dressed to go out. She had asked about films at the cinema and she had money in her purse. But for some reason, she didn't go to the sports ground in Wembley as she usually would. As confirmed by a ticket found in her purse, the serial numbers confirmed that she had purchased a return ticket to Baker Street at Westbourne Park Tube Station between 6 and 7 p.m., as issued by ticket inspector Arthur Dedman, who knew Rene and remembered that she was alone. When discovered, it was found that her ticket hadn't been clipped, meaning that she never boarded the train. Between the time she entered the station to the minute her body was found, Rennie seemed to have vanished without a trace. No one who knew her had seen her. But what about those who didn't? Two days after her murder, police issued a photo in the local papers alongside a description of this woman who was truly unique. 35 years old, 4 foot 11, 7 and a half stone, with pale skin, grey eyes, lips like a toffee apple, and a sweet face topped off with brown fuzzy hair like candy floss. She was dressed in a light blue frock, a navy blue coat, black shoes, 
and a brown leather handbag. Five hours were missing from her life. But slowly, even strangers began to recognize her. Between 7.50 and 8.20 p.m., Frances McLaughlin, barmaid of the Prince of Wales pub on Harrow Road, a short walk from Westbourne Park tube station, saw Rene, who she knew, and Bert, who she didn't, enter the pub. Her statement was backed up by Teresa Grimes, a customer who knew neither, but said they were easy to recognize as they looked odd together. One tall, one short, one bald, one frizzy. Asked in court, Bert would state, I have not been to the Prince of Wales pub in over 12 months. When asked by the coroner if she recognized the man, although Bert was sitting in the witness box, the barmaid said she could not. It later transpired that she had received an anonymous letter on the 15th of October, which read, To Mrs. McLaughlin, we strongly advise you to keep your nose out of the Gladys Hanrahan case. Or perhaps you will find yourself in the same place as her. The sender was never identified. At 8.55pm, just south of Regent's Park, Lydia Malcolm saw a woman who she believed was Rene and a man in a fawn raincoat and a brown trilby hat walking towards the Lorry Arms at 32 Crawford Place. Bert would state, I was never there on that day, or any other. Even though that pub was just a few streets away from the dairy where René worked, and the rented garage in Manchester Mews, where his car was parked. In Bert's defence, the witnesses may have been mistaken. Or maybe... Having read about it in the paper, they may have made the whole thing up. As although the timeline put René and Bert near Regent's Park at the time she was murdered, it may have been untrue. It was possible. But then there was this. At 9.10pm, one hour before her body was found. A postman called Francis Carter was walking along Chilton Street, just south of Baker Street and the border of Regent's Park. A couple were walking in front of me. They stopped. I saw the man grab hold of the girl by the lapel and shake her. He then pushed her in the face. Not knowing if this was just a bit of harmless fun, or a fight. I followed them because I thought there was going to be trouble. But he lost them at the lights. He described the woman as about five feet tall, fragile build, frizzy hair and a blue coat. Shown her body just hours before her funeral, the postman positively identified Rene as the girl he had seen that night. In court, he would point to the man he saw beside her as being 
Five foot ten, late forties, in a fawn mac and a trilby hat, as Bert. This sighting may seem a little spurious, and maybe unconnected, as at no point did anyone see Bert kill Rennie. But it does reveal two pieces of possible evidence that the police never released. Where they thought that Rennie had been murdered, or how the body had been dumped in Regent's Park. Chilton Street is a six-minute walk from Manchester Mews, where Bert's car was parked. If he had offered Rennie a lift home, maybe it was in that dark, secluded garage, where he beat, strangled, and choked her, having rejected his love. Maybe in that garage is where he placed her body, in the boot of his car. Maybe from there. He drove to the outer circle on Regent's Park, and he dumped her body in Cumberland Green. And although all of this is only hypothetical, maybe it was Bert, who the police saw chain smoking in a Blackford saloon, as the man sat watching the detectives examine a strange body. In an unusual crime scene, Albert Butler gave three statements to the police, in which he stuck to his story about being in Brighton. He denied being in Regent's Park, Baker Street, or Wembley, owning or using the handkerchief, or driving his car that day. An inquest was held at St Pancras Coroner's Court before Mr Bentley Purchase. Given the gravity of the offence, Albert Butler was bound over and told not to say anything which would implicate him. Bert was grilled hard by the prosecution on details in his alibi which he should have known, only to answer them by repeating, "I don't know." For the detectives, Bert was their number one suspect. He had motive, purpose, and means. And being unable to provide a single witness or piece of evidence to back up his story, everything was against him. If escalated to a criminal court, he risked a death sentence. Only the prosecution's case had holes. Summing up, the coroner would state, "There is no evidence that Butler, putting the worst case against him, is the person who murdered her. Even if the jury were to accept the evidence that he had not gone to Brighton, that is a very different thing from having any evidence that he was with the girl in Regent's Park." On the third of December, nineteen forty-seven. Having deliberated for ten minutes, the jury returned an open verdict that Rene had been murdered by person or persons unknown. And with that, Albert Butler walked free. He returned to St Irvine's Road, 
and continued living his life next door to Rene's family. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, stretchy time. Oh, oh dear. Oh, stretchy time and burpy time. I was on the, I was on my lime diet coke during that, and I was burping all the way through it. I know what it is about diet coke burps. They just sit. They just sit in the top part of your chest, and they don't go anywhere. Whoa. Anyway, everyone. <coughs> Not COVID cough. Um, uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Extra Mile. It's me again. Hello, it's him, the bald fat man. Not as fat as I used to be, but no, uh, gee, I'm still uh, still on that stage. I can't get rid of the last bit now. It's that last bit. And I, I'm guessing because I'm 800 years old, that this is the fat that will never bugger off. Oh, dear Lord. I guess I'm just doomed to be an, a bit of a chunky. Which Eva likes. That's like she likes. She likes to grab hold of my sides and give me a good wobble. But there we go. But uh, I, I'm having cake only once a week. Normally it's like a little bit of a muffin and a healthy sink. I haven't had chocolate in ages. What the hell? What is going on in my life? I just went to the shops and I was behind a guy who had a, a basket full of lots and lots of goodies. Like it, I, the way I would do it is I'd normally say to myself, "I'm going to go and pick up some salad." You go in and you, you remember to get your salad. 
And then you start putting things into your basket. And then when you get round to the other side, you open it up and you realise you've got four lots of cake, three lots of biscuits, two lots of chocolate, some beer and some goodies. And then or sometimes you realise you you haven't picked up the the salad that you meant to. But I'm being good at the moment. I'm even like I'm having some crisps. I'm trying to have those healthier options crisps except last week i opened up the a pack of walkers one of these special baked walkers I opened it up like in a bag there was about a fifth of the crisps at the bottom and i was like yeah it's like half half the fat walkers but come on there's about a fifth of the crisps oh dear anyway anyway oh um a big thank you to my new patreon supporters who are sucro romy karen candlish and pam king Thank you all. Thank you all for becoming uh, patrons and subscribers. It's very much appreciated. Lots of goodies, lots of really interesting things, especially to do with this case that's on there. Uh, and I've uh, each episode, I always do a location video, but this one, there's an extra special one at the end of the week, uh, which is why it was useful doing doing the little walk around and visiting the locations. That's why I always do it early because it's for me, it's good to get all the research done but for me i find it absolutely essential to go to places and look at the locations and especially with this one i was standing in the places where where the body was found and i could see the kind of the where everything was and it, everything comes together but when i was walking around uh marleybone and looking at places where kind of Rene worked and things like that, things started to slot into place. And that's when I worked out the ending to this. So it's so useful visiting those. It's so useful to visit places in real time. Uh, did I even, I've introduced this is extra mile, unscripted, unedited bit. This is the waffly bit. We'll do a quiz in a bit, etc., etc. Uh What else is going on in the world? Um, I'm working on a new project. Now, I know that before I mentioned that I was writing a book, not doing the book anymore, only because I sat down and I worked it out to myself. And, you know, it'll take me a year, year and a half. I'm already like a year into the research on this. And I thought to myself, you know what? Realistically, how many books do you reckon I could sell? And I thought, I'd be lucky if I sell 50. And given the fact, you know, you, you sell them for a tenny, you probably make like four or five quid off them. I just thought that's not really worth... Um, my time really but the the research is there so new project coming out in august uh which will make money for me which will be great and also everyone can enjoy it so uh that's coming out in august more information on that soon but it's it's very exciting but it means i'm slogging my guts out at the moment doing murder mile another project that comes out in autumn i'm working on that as well everyone can enjoy that that's that's entirely free so everyone can enjoy that uh what else is going on just too too much i'm knackered i'm knackered right let's do the quiz questions as always i will probably ball some of them up or i might edit them out the episode because i haven't edited the episode yet so here goes question number one what two details were stitched into the hanky Mm. So what two important details were stitched into the hanky? Uh, Question number two. What colour were the bricks on the buildings at Portman Mansions? Mm. Question number three. What was the name of the ticket inspector who sold René a ticket? Very interesting name. Question four. What did Bert eat and drink in Brighton? Allegedly. Question five. What part of Chelsea did Bert go house hunting in? (laughs) Question six. What did Rene and Uncle Willie have for lunch as a main meal on the day she died? Three things. 
That might have been a question last week. I think it probably was. Question seven. What did they have for pudding or dessert afterwards? Mmm, yummy. Question eight. What was Bert's wife doing when he came in from Brighton? I've put that in air quotes. Uh, question nine. What did Rene drink at the pub with Bert? And question 10. Where did he say he went afterwards? Uh, and to, uh, So, um, question 10. Where did Bert say that Rennie went to afterwards after they'd left the pub together? And what did she buy? There you go. I had to rewrite that in my head. Well, let's do some extra details in here. So, the, uh, the hanky. Uh, I was going to make this a bigger feature, but then I realised it's probably better just to go into uh, Bert's bullshit story. Or is it a bullshit story? We will never know. So, um, originally the police did suspect Daniel, her, her father, as the suspect. Um, because of the initials, it, it's th- this is one of those things that you'd see in like an old crappy movie where they'd go, oh my God, someone's been murdered and there's a handkerchief and it's got someone's monogram on it. But this is that era where um, when you send off uh, your clothes to go off to a laundress, um, th- they would stitch in uh, something that says this is from this laundrette and this is the person's initials. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, Daniel hadn't done this in ages. He keeps his hankies for a long time. Uh, he doesn't send them to laundress. Actually, Rene was the one who would wash his hankies for him. Um, these weren't her hankies because her hankies were stylish. Um, and it, it it was only afterwards that they kind of worked it all out. They said, oh, yeah, there was that moment like nine months earlier when uh, uh, the, um, Bert was doing the washing up with Rennie and the scullery and he cut his finger. And I, uh, Daniel was like, I gave him a tissue. Uh, well, it was one of his cotton hankies. And because it's old and tatty, he didn't think that much about it. It was clean because obviously Rennie had washed it. Um, uh, I think that's one of the questions, isn't it? What was the, what was written on there? So uh, that I slightly gave that away. But what I want you to do is not tell me what the the mark was. I want you to tell me exactly what it was. What was written on there? That's question one. Um, yep, yeah, uh, the uncle also identified it as well. Uh, what else was there? We don't. It, it's unlikely that uh, Bert. Uh, pre-planned this in advance and thought oh I know I'm going to murder his daughter and then I'm going to keep his hanky and use it I do you know what I don't even think at the time that he was probably thinking I will use this to kind of stitch up um, uh, Daniel I think it was just he grabbed the first thing I don't think he was even planning to murder her that day I think he just got angry at some point they would have been in the uh, the garage where I reckon it would have happened uh he grabbed the nearest thing he could to kind of probably to silence her screams. Um, I filmed a little video down in uh, Manchester Muse and you can understand why. It's almost the perfect place for a murder. It's off a side street. It's just off, off Marleybone High Street. Uh, it's off a side street and then there's another little muse off that. You've got to go down a little hill and it I was down there on a Saturday afternoon and it was dead. Like no one goes down there. It's a place where you just dump your car really. So yeah, uh, odd one. Um, Rennie and Bert's relationship. So, you know, they started out kind of nicely. They were kind of like an uncle and niece kind of relationship going on. Uh, George Butler, who is uh, Bert's brother, said, I could not quite understand the association with Rene uh, because I thought that him being married, the action was open to criticism. Although I have no idea what his moral relationship was with with the girl. He told me that the girl, uh, that he very much liked her and he sympathised with her. Um... 
Gladys, his wife, said, My husband often spoke about Rene and what she was doing in general conversation. Uh, she, he always said that she was a nice girl who was an, of an unselfish disposition. Uh, beyond this, he never really spoke of her. Um, on one occasion, so this wasn't too... This, this was kind of about three months... It was June, so about two months before she went to Margate, she went with Bert to Royal Ascot races uh, during race week, which was kind of the middle of June. Um, she had been with him and her dad and her uncle before. Uh, for some reason, they didn't go this time, but because he was a family friend, they really didn't see any problem with it. It's not like they were staying in a hotel together. They were staying at Albert's Butler's, uh, Albert's brother's house, George Butler, who lived in Ascot anyway. Uh, so everyone saw it as kind of fine and okay. Uh, obviously, over time, uh, his attentions to her kind of escalating and escalating. She, uh, He would drive her to work on Monday mornings. So it looks like he may have been parking his car outside the house on kind of a weekend and then dropping it back on a Monday when maybe because uh, that'd be right. His shop wouldn't be open on a Sunday. So, yeah, that would be a reason to use his car. Um why he decided to use Manchester Muse is kind of weird. There's loads of little muses dotted around London. They, these are these are kind of um, you have houses on uh, kind of back to back with each other, and in the middle of them will probably be like a muse, and it's it's almost like a little alley. But in there, you can put little garages, and that's where people can park up their cars. And sometimes you have workshops there, and there's loads dotted around London. But there's loads in West London. So why he chose the one that was nearest to the back of the dairy where she worked? you have to kind of surmise your own ideas on that um there were a couple of people who were kind of suspicious of him daniel said uh, he had said before i had noticed him occasionally looking very hard at her but he he, he said i didn't attach much importance importance to it he was always in and out of the house you know and he's kind of got a man with a stern look anyway so he'd kind of really you know if he's going to be staring at someone you kind of just think well that's just who he is uh mary hanrahan who was daniel's sister said i cannot explain why but i have an inside feeling that mr butler but uh, had something to do with renee's death i am convinced that she would not go into regent's park in the dark unless she was with someone she knew and trusted um which makes sense everyone kind of says that um uh, her dad would say that she would go walking in Regent's Park. That was kind of a, a place that she loved to go, but she wouldn't go at night. Um, we were stalking. Yeah, she. He'd. There were several occasions where he was definitely followed her to Baker Street and definitely followed her to the sports ground in Wembley. Now that's a bit of a trek. If you kind of don't know London, basically, um, in order to get to Wembley, if you're using the tube system, he's going from uh, far west, which is West 10. And then basically you've got to go to Baker Street, which is almost the centre of town. And then you've got to go kind of go northwest again, up to Wembley, which is far northwest London. It's a pig to get to. So that would have been door to door about an hour so that's a bit of a bit of a jaunt to kind of go and follow her um obviously he could have used his car but he's following her on the tube and then on the train and then the walking route as well so he's definitely a real stalker there as she said before she said uh to, to just a few close friends that she was scared of butler that he might do things uh as she was always refusing to have anything to do with him he wanted to kind of get close to her he was kind of obsessing about her he'd apparently according to her and the friends that she told he'd suggested intimacy between them mm. 
Nice. Uh, so, yeah, just before they went to Margate, there was a bit of a to-do then. Um, um, people seem to have seen Rene and the guy... What, Jimmy, Jimmy Locke, that her inverted commas boyfriend on the bike, he'd been to their house uh, a couple of times. He'd met her father, he'd met her uncle, and he said on one occasion he had met Bert as well, who he described as a man with a stern face who uh, uh, runs an off-licence and has a car. That was kind of his description of him, but he didn't kind of like him. Um but yeah, um, they didn't get involved with, with what was going on. The argument, they said it didn't seem physical. It just seemed like they were having words. And let's not forget that Rene is kind of a quite a quiet girl. So, you know, you can't imagine her losing a rag, rag and shouting. You can imagine her just getting quite frustrated. So, you know, people were watching, but they weren't getting involved. Um, I would say that the trigger for his jealousy seems to be the trip to Margate. He seems to be quite controlling of of, uh, her and keeping an eye on her. But Sunday 31st of August, that's basically four weeks before she was murdered. That's when the foursome went to Margate. Uh, That's when she was on the back of uh, Jimmy's bike. Jimmy's 27 years old, so he's almost kind of half half Bert's age he's jealous of him uh he's got a motorbike she seems to like him so uh and obviously he saw him uh just after midnight deliver her back to the house uh so he's a creepy little bastard always watching uh doesn't like him which is why I mentioned in the in the kind of references unless I've edited it out uh the references that he was kind of saying oh well she's uh do you know she's got her boyfriends out there and there's one guy who's very suspicious and he works at the dairy and he's got a motorbike Ooh. uh what else we got let's get rid of that get rid of that uh the party that's pretty sad isn't it it's kind of like sit, uncle uncle willie's 65th birthday is on the thursday and uh that's the day that he finds out that his his niece is has been murdered uh so that's what they were prepping for apparently it was it wasn't going to be anything big he just wanted to have a few neighbors over a game of cards some dominoes a drink and that's what they were going to do so that's what renee was going out she was going out to get a birthday card Oh, I gave away one of the uh, quiz questions. You can have that one for free, but you've got to answer the other part because it was a two-parter. She was going out to her her shop uh, to buy two cards. So one of them would have been for herself, and I'm guessing the other one was for her dad uh, to give to him. Um, But yeah, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, Let's see if we can get into some Brighton stuff. Um... where he was that day is weird it's kind of he definitely went to the bank he was seen there he definitely went to the first pub the golden cross at 47 lancaster road just off portobello road still there today uh several people saw them there uh they were easy to spot so we know that they were definitely there but uh admits to that even though he said he kind of bumped into her by chance she left but this is this is where things I would say kind of go a little bit weird because um, she's having her lunch at two o'clock onwards. He should have been having his lunch with his wife, but he didn't come home. Uh, so she's in the shop between two and five. He's seen with her supposedly uh, at Tavistock Crescent when she's buying cigarettes for Uncle Willie and uh, Beatrice Underwood, who was the lady who runs the shop. She said that she sees Rene with him. 
Uh, although his back is to her, so he can't, she can't kind of see exactly who it is. But, you know, he's lived locally for years. He's a bald man with a stern face he's wearing. She's got the trilby hat and she's got the fawn raincoat, right? So it could be him, but it might not be. Uh, so he's definitely there. So that begs the question, between 2 o'clock, well, one thirty when they split up from the pub, and 5.30 when she's buying the cigarettes, where's he? Because he doesn't go back to his ha- uh, shop always home which is the same place so he's hanging around for three three to four hours what is he doing in that area doesn't make sense did he go back to the shop as the kind of uh isabella underwood said the assistant and one of the neighbors she may have got it wrong she may have got the dates wrong this does happen that people go oh yeah i definitely remember seeing someone here but if something is unimportant like do you know i just went to the shops now and if the police turned up now and said oh do you remember seeing a lady with uh a black jacket with red stripes and some words on the back. And I'll, I'll probably either go no or yes. But if they come back two, two weeks later and they ask when was this, I might end up saying it was three weeks ago or one week ago. Do you know, it's hard to pin things down, especially when it's not important. So, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, let's uh, Prince of Wales pub. So this is a pub I've visited too many times. Unfortunately, it's been uh, it's been shut down and converted into a Costa Coffee. Uh, it was pub near uh, the the Metropolitan and this one was pubs I went into quite a lot. Um, Prince of Wales pub got shut down not too long ago because uh, I, th- I believe there was some kind of paedophile scandal going on there. Mm, dirty uh, Prince of Wales pub. So yeah, so. Uh, um, Rene had obviously left house at 5.55 and then she'd gone to Westbourne Park Tube. So that's only about 10 minutes away. That fits the timeline of when she would have bought a ticket to uh, Baker Street. But she didn't get it clipped. But then she's seen in the Prince of Wales pub, which is next, almost next door to that, about an hour after that. What's she doing in there? We don't know. We really don't know. Whether they, whether they, this was them, we, we can't clarify. Because obviously the barmaid didn't know them. But they looked like a couple who kind of everyone was like, oh, yeah, you could, you could, you could see who they were. Um, the threatening note was sent to Francis, courtesy of the manager of the Prince of Wales pub. Uh, received Wednesday, the 15th of October, 1947. So literally two weeks after the murder. And as mentioned, it said to Mrs. McLaughlin, we strongly advise you to keep your nose out of the Gladys Hanrahan case or perhaps you will find yourself in the same place as her. And it underlined was good advice and it signed off local. Don't know who that is. Uh, It's never revealed. Um, Now, um, Albert, his, uh, his false alibi. Do we need to go into that? I don't think so. It's it's just bullshit, isn't it? It's like a spur of the moment. He just goes, I'm going to Brighton. Yes, you do. I mean, it's not, it wasn't even a good day. It was kind of a little bit overcast. There was kind of a mist on the ground. So it wasn't the perfect day. He went there, he fell asleep uh, on the ground, on the, the beach, which uh, you know, a lot of us do. It's a nice, it's a nice place to hang out on the beach. Train times, you know, he he was able to say what the return fare was, 15 shillings and three pence. He was able to say that we left from either platform 14 or 15. But pretty much everyone knows that. I haven't got the train to Brighton in ages, but even I know, even I can walk in and know know roughly where I need to go to get the train to Brighton. 
uh, and we all know how long the train takes so it's not really a problem police went through the investigation they went through all the little details and they worked out how close he was with different details but even with that you know it's 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 not it's no major leap uh what else is going on obviously he returned afterwards to the metropolitan pub on westbourne grove been there many times you're welcome had many many pints there um we don't know much about this rose Devereux. she uh, is a young friend uh who was with a young man called butler another man called butler uh he didn't know her surname but he said that she lived on fernhead road so he knew that but he didn't know what number um it's, it's, I'm not going to go too far into that. It's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Um, what else we got? What else we got? The shade, the, the fight. Uh, weird. So Francis Oliver Carter was the postman. Uh, he he lived on uh, Chilton Street. So he was kind of um, uh, nearby anyway. He was coming back from work. Um, now this fits the timeline perfectly because we the pathologist said that she'd been dead roughly an hour the air was consistent that night when they checked her they said she'd been dead roughly an hour um now she was found at 10:15 and this was uh, 9:10 so this is almost perfect you you kind of can't get nearer than that um if she was to walk to Regent's Park given the fact that she's got little legs it would have taken if she went direct about 20 minutes so that takes it a little bit over but not too much but as we know she didn't she didn't die in Regent's Park there wasn't a fight in Regent's Park but she was placed in Regent's Park so it makes sense that following that fight apparently they'd come out uh, on Baker Street uh they'd been at the classic cinema they were walking kind of near uh, marleybone road when, when they got to uh, i can't remember if this is a, a, a quiz question so I've, my brain's all gone uh that's when a man who looked like bert shook a lady who was identified as rene um it was interesting it was they found this guy this francis guy the postman and it was it was literally at the on the day when she was being buried so he was taken uh to st Irvin's road where the body was lying in an open casket and the family all all kind of hanging around and then him and one of the detectives had to go in and he had to go okay is this is this the woman that you saw being murdered oh this woman you saw being attacked and he was like yes it was and then she was buried so actually the timing on that was pretty amazing um it didn't seem like a violent thing he said he said that she was shaken uh he'd pushed her in the face uh, it was a bit of a distance and behind him so he couldn't really tell if it was a jokey thing or if it was a fight he kind of kept an eye on it but then they kind of disappeared but it was only when i was looking at this location and i was like hang on i'd already visited uh blandford street where the dairy was uh, dairy's not there anymore and i visited chilton street which is this one where the 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 kind of fight happened and i was like hang on the uh, the car place where he parked his car is literally a six minute walk it's like they were going roughly that area anyway so if they'd had a fight it, it kind of makes sense that they would just go that he would turn around to her and go fine shall i just take you home and he's like she's like yeah yeah that'd be nice you know she got no plans that night she wasn't going anywhere so uh 
Yeah, which which fits the theory that if she was if she was strangled in the garage uh, as he was uh, getting in as they were getting in the car, it's secluded, it's dark, no one could see it. It was a good couple of hours after after night time. Uh, it's it's a quiet place. No one saw them round. He could have strangled her, put her in the boot of the car, driven her. It takes eight minutes to get to the outer circle on the corner of Cumberland uh, Green. Uh, I was there on a Saturday lunchtime. And there was almost no cars there. There was like a handful of cyclists and a dog walker. A dog walker who went past him and said, you can cross the road now. And I was like, do you mean me? And he went, no, no, my dog. Ha ha ha, there we go. Um, but it's, 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 you've got no reason to go on the outer circle. It's, it doesn't go anywhere. It literally is. It's, it's a circuit from Baker Street down to uh, Great Portland Street. It, it doesn't really serve a purpose. So most people don't use it. So... Him there at night, it would have been quiet. There wouldn't have been lights on. Uh, he would have been sitting there quietly in his car, having a smoke. Uh, and from the road, and I, I, I've posted these pictures on Patreon, you can see the entrance and where he would have parked his car. You can see exactly where the body would have been and you could see where the detectives would have been with their torches. So it makes sense that this is where, potentially, hypothetically, he would have dumped the body and then watched it. Um, whether he did, we don't know, but the police definitely saw a black Ford saloon parked up outside with someone chain smoking and a man inside. And when they went to go and question him, the man drove off, not at speed, but, um, it takes a little bit of a, a, a lick to get from where the detectives were to the car. So, uh, they didn't get his license plate. Uh, and I think that's it. I think that's, uh, everything. I think we've covered the whole lot. Oh, let's do this. Um, so, obviously, Bert was a suspect, the primary suspect. Uh, I, uh, on Patreon, I would have uploaded all of his statements. I think I have. I need to double check that. Uh, but he said, uh, I have to say I had nothing to do with the death of Miss Hanrahan in Regent's Park. Um, he was asked if he knew all the places that he'd been seen in. And he said, you know, some of them I know, some, most of them I don't know. I've never been to these ones. Uh, he said it is within my knowledge that the dead girl was friendly with some of the workmen at united dairies and especially with a married one uh, she told me she was very sweet on him she was also friendly with another employee at the firm who had a motorcycle um uh this was the the thing about the affair she said he said about 12 months ago miss renee Hanrahan told me that she had an affair with her cousin's husband. I don't know the name, but he lives in Cricklewood. As a result of this, her husband left the cousin. Uh, that was bullshit. Uh, didn't happen, according to uh, Daniel and uh, Willie. Uh, he said, on three occasions, I had found Rene crying downstairs at number seven. This was within the last four months. I asked her what was wrong, and she said it was because she had too much work to do, and it was worrying her. She asked me not to tell her uncle, and that she had been crying. Um, obviously he would go and help her out in the basement of both both shops the off license and his shop as well he she would do the stock check and things like that it's a little bit creepy that he would help her out in the basement creepy 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 man especially as he knows what she's about what he she knows what he's about um he said I have never made improper advances to her at any time, which is a lie. Uh, I have never taken Rene out for a drink, which is a lie. I have never been up to Baker Street and met her at lunchtime, um, which is a lie. Uh, people at the um, uh, the dairy said, uh, confirmed that, that he often hung around and then he would kind of meet up with her. Um, 
Uh, or like, which is why she started taking sandwiches. He would be kind of hanging around. She'd be like, oh, shit. Um, uh, he said that if anyone uh, said that they'd seen him, that was uh, that he'd been up in uh, the sports ground, that was a lie as well. Uh, what else we got? I think that's it. I think that's all the goodies. Yeah. But he said, so yeah, he walked free. Um, this is the inquest trial. The inquest um, would be the point of which the coroner would say, okay, if this is suspicious and da da da, therefore it goes to criminal court. But because they couldn't find uh, evidence to pinpoint, they could they couldn't say that he was conclusively in Brighton, but they also couldn't say that he was conclusively in uh, Regent's Park. So the police were kind of stuck at that point, you know, without witnesses, there's not really a lot they could do. They hadn't got fingerprints, they hadn't got witnesses, they hadn't got anything to pin him to the murder itself uh, or Regent's Park. So unfortunately, it, it the case collapsed at that point. It did not did not go to criminal court. So, um, which is which is why I found, I mean, A, I found this case fascinating because her being posed in the middle of Regent's Park I thought that was really weird and it, and there's similarities to the Blackout Ripper case because there's lots of posing on that but also um, him being set free it's like when I read that bit I was like what the fuck why but it makes sense there's, just because it looks like he's guilty you can't just go yeah he's guilty fuck it so uh, yeah that's that's why we have a court of law right let's do some quiz questions cool that was long sorry about that some quiz questions right what two details were stitched into the hanky? They were. It was the laundry mark, which was XX slash A, and the initial D. Question two. What colour were the bricks on the buildings at Portman Mansions? They were red. Question three. What was the name of the ticket inspector who sold René a ticket? It was Arthur Deadman. Nice. Question four. What did Bert eat and drink when he was, inverted commas, in Brighton? He had a cup of tea and a sandwich. Question five. What part of Chelsea did Bert go house hunting in? He went to uh, World's End. Question six. Uh, what did Rene and Uncle Willie have for lunch as a main meal? Sausage, mash and peas. When I wrote that today, I said to myself, bollocks, I'm going to make myself a nice sausage casserole tonight. Ooh, yummy. Uh, question seven. And I'm going to have I'm going to have custard and stuff. Question seven. What did they have for pudding and dessert? Well, that was the answer to the next one. Uh, tinned peaches and custard. Question eight. What was Bert's wife doing when he came in from Brighton? Uh, she was listening to the radio slash wireless question nine what did Rene drink at the pub with Bert she had two gin and lime uh, and question 10 um, after they'd left the pub uh, where did Rene go and what did she buy so I've already given away the, the answer about that she was buying a birthday card but where did she go she went to Woolworths to buy a birthday card there you go Woolworths where I used to work as a kiddie I'm sure we all did. So that's that done. Hope you enjoyed that. That was a that was the two parter. All done, dusted, case wrapped up, case closed. Oh, onwards and upwards. Right, I'm going to start editing this. Oh, knackered. Right. 
Thank you very much for listening to Murder Mile. Have yourself a good day. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. This is the weird bit. This is where this is the bit where I say goodbye and then my boat, having been talking for a couple of hours, suddenly my boat goes very quiet and it feels very weird. Until Eva wakes up with an evil hangover and starts screaming at me. Right, have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.